0: Hey friends, hope that you're all doing well. If I have had a chance to meet you, my name is Herrick and I'm one of the pastors of Restored Temecula and I wanna welcome you from wherever you're tuning in. Uh, today, I get the privilege of starting a new series that we're calling Transition 2021. And during this series, what we're gonna do is we're going to essentially close the book and turn the page on 2020, which is like, I'm sure some, all of you are like excited about that and kind of look ahead to where we're going As a church community where where we feel God is taking us as a church family. Uh, But first, before we look at 2021, we want to spend a Sunday just diving into 2020. And I have the privilege of doing that today. This is actually my idea. I told Tom, hey, we should do this. And he's like, yeah, you should do it. So I was like, and then I thought about it, about what that all meant. I was like, okay, I guess guess I'll do it. Um, There's so much that can be said about 2020. It could easily, easily be a month-long series, if not longer. And I've got one message. So I just want to give all of you a heads up right now. I'm going to be selective on what I talk about. I could easily talk about how 2020 revealed a lot of things about our nation, our world, the church, broadly speaking, about ourselves. It showed us how divided we really are. Uh, In every in every way, here's what here's what, you know, unfortunately, here's part of what no matter what happens. We'll always remember about 2020. Uh, It it sort of went like this. Um, We're in a pandemic. No, we're not. Uh, We have a race problem in America. No, we don't. Uh, Biden won. No, he didn't. Wear a mask. It saves lives. It's science. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It's science. Get vaccinated. Let's get past this. How do you know if it's safe? <laughs> Close your business. Don't kill my grandma. Open your business. Don't be a sheep. And on and on and on 2020 went. There was just, it was a year of like big opinions, not a lot of listening, it seems like. And we have like this much mutual respect left uh, in the tank, we're running very, very low as a society. We're on empty. We might even be dipping into the reserve tank at this point. So, there's a there's this sense in which, like, I can unpack the the division of 2020 and the unity that we have in Jesus. Uh, I can unpack how political parties at times became bigger to the church than Jesus or even like how political, uh, political figures became bigger than Jesus uh, in this time. I could talk about how sin is affected, uh, how we treat one another individually and systemically. Again, this could be a series, and I've only got one message. So for this message, instead of talking about that stuff, which is important, it's relevant and helpful, I'm just going to focus in on one, I think, spiritual struggle. That became a personal struggle for so many of us that I believe we all face at one point or another during 2021. And I want to share with you what I think God is saying to us in light of the challenges that we face in 2020. And as we turn the page and look ahead to 2021, this is sort of like the moment where I pastorally get to say, hey, if you remember only one thing spiritually, there's a lot of stuff you'll remember about 2020. But if you only remember one thing spiritually and personally, from 2021, make it this. And so I'm gonna go ahead and pray a sin because this is gonna take a little while to un- unpack, and I really wanna ask for God's help if you'll join me from wherever you are. Father, I wanna thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to really consider what 2020 meant to us spiritually, the opportunities and the gifts that you gave us during this really difficult moment. And how they actually have the power and the potential to shape us as a people long beyond 2020. Like years and years down the road. Would you help us to soak this in? What we're going to talk about today, this, would the scripture really make its way deep into our hearts? Would the truth of, of what it's saying to us really make its way into who we are as people? And would you be pleased to pour out your spirit on those who are listening, starting with me right now as I'm preaching and, uh, and so that we could really receive what you have to say. Would you change the way that we think about 2020? Would you do something new and fresh during this time? We love you, Jesus. We're grateful to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start, as I often do, by telling you a story. This was not from 2020. It was from 2002. And at the time, I was 17 years old I was a junior. I was wrapping up my junior year of high school, and it was Wednesday, April 24th, 2002. What was memorable about it? Nothing for most people, but it's it's a day that I remember, and here's why I remember it. I was sitting on Instant Messenger. For those of you who were in high school around that time, you might remember AOL Instant Messenger before there was Text messaging that was broadly used before there was group chats, before there was all kinds of stuff that we have now, apps to communicate, Uh, people would use AOL Instant Messenger. And so that's kind of where people would go to hang out online and talk. And so as I did most days back then, uh, when I got home from school, I kind of put my bags down, unpacked, and I kind of opened up AOL Instant Messenger, put my (laughs) OA message up, BRB, and then just kind of watched and waited until someone popped up. And so... As the day, the afternoon went on and, and rolled into the evening, uh, my kind of evening routine was to sit down and watch the Angels games. I'm a big Angels fan, if you know. You may not know I wear Angels hats all the time, but I love the Angels. They're my team growing up and I still follow them today. And I, I became an Angels fan when I moved here to the States, so it's very much connected to coming to the US. I grew up in Puerto Rico, then I moved over here in the third grade. So that was a huge part of my transition, like it was getting involved in something in the community and I love baseball, so it became the Angels. So for about 10 years prior to this, this is 2002, so about 10 years prior, I watched or listened to or attended basically every Angels game that there was. Uh, with the exception of one year where I lived in Minnesota. So I was deeply ingrained in the team's culture, in the team's history, in the players. I had a favorite player, Tim Salmon, he was my my boy, he was kind of like my hero growing up. And, uh, And yeah, this was a team that I'd followed for a long time, and they had this core group of players who were maturing together, who were finally, it was sort of like that moment of like, hey, they brought in some guys from the outside to help fill out the roster. These guys are ready to play. And 2002 was supposed to be a kind of year of like kind of put up or shut up kind of year. And on April 24th, 2002, this Wednesday, I still remember it amazingly, so so long ago, uh, the Angels were playing in Seattle. And I remember just sitting there, before the game turned on, I was like, dude, they've started off so poorly. They were, I think, six and 14. So six wins, 14 losses uh, in the standings. They were deep, way, 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 way in the hole. Uh, they almost, at that point, it was only about three weeks, I guess, three or four weeks into the season. And I genuinely thought, it's over. They cannot, they're not, they're so. they're in such a big hole that there's no way they're going to be able to come out of it. And historically, what had happened was the year before, the big team in their division was the Seattle Mariners, and the Mariners won a record like 114 or 116 games, and the Mariners were at it again. So it was sort of like, all right, Seattle's going to win this thing again. The Angels are going nowhere. This is a big disappointment, a big flop, a big failure. And to me, this was a big deal because I went to Angel games, like I said, growing up my entire life here in the States. It was something that I did with my brother, I did it with my friends, my dad had season tickets through his work, so we would go all the time. So it was meaningful to us, it was part of our lives. And here they were, three or four weeks into the season, it looked completely lost, completely like they weren't gonna come back. And it was my last year of being able to go to games because I was a junior. So the next year, senior year, I was going to, you know, start applying to colleges and I'd be gone before the end of the following season. This was my last chance to see the Angels do something big, to see them do something special and memorable, and I had been waiting for a decade, and it just seemed like it's not happening. So I'm sitting there on AIM, my buddy Alex pops on, he's a baseball fan, he's sort of an Angels fan too, and I just start to tell him like, oh, Alex, it's hopeless, it's pointless, this team's not going anywhere, you know, on and on and on and on I went, just, just despairing. And I still remember his response. I I had thousands probably of AOL Instant Messenger conversations. I remember very, very few. But I remember this one because he said, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Just keep the faith. It's going to be fine. And sure enough, that night, even though everything seemed like it was lost, uh, it turns out that it really wasn't. Hope wasn't lost. It, It just took a while to really see it unfold. And that night they won. And then there's a whole other story to what happened with the rest of that season. But why do I bring it up? I've been thinking about that night uh, quite a bit since I've been chewing on this message. Why? Uh, I think 2020 has been one of those years that's given us moments where it feels like this is hopeless. This is pointless. It's, it's lost. Uh, we've seen businesses close, we've seen people get sick and die, we've seen political upheaval, we've seen all sorts of things in 2020 that would make us think, hey, this is never going to get better. We, we went on lockdown in March, uh, things got a little bit better over the summer, we had more freedom, we were able to eat indoors for a while, and right now, as of the recording of this message, it feels like March again. Everything seems to be shutting down, Again, you can't eat inside. I don't even think you could technically eat outside. It's like we're back in this mess again. And sometimes it just feels like hope is lost. And I was unaware, going back to this moment in 2002, I was unaware of the significance of this moment. It was a turning point. It was like a before and after type of moment. I just didn't see it. It took a while to see it. And I think right now, Despite the feelings of hopelessness sometimes in 2020, I think this is one of those moments where actually hope isn't lost. It's just hard to see. And I want to unpack that with you. I want to unpack one way, I think, where maybe spiritually we've felt hopeless at times in 2020, where it's very clearly not hopeless at all. And God is actually wanting to meet us in this very specific, painful part of 2020 that I want to share with you guys and we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes to dive in. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5 we're going to look at verses 15 to 20. I need to give you some context because we have not been in Ecclesiastes. I don't think since we started the church uh, two and a half years ago that we've ever uh, spent time in Ecclesiastes. So a little bit of background this is important so you know where we are in the story and kind of where we're going. So the book itself the book of Ecclesiastes it's anonymous. Historically, some people have thought that it was King Solomon who wrote it and others thought that it was like someone standing on, on Solomon's shoulders, kind of like on the shoulders of greatness, writing based on his wisdom and what he learned and experienced. Either way, it's a piece of literary genius in the scriptures. Why? Because it, it really captures and describes the, the confusing, perplexing, sometimes senseless, sometimes random Oftentimes frustrating lives that we live in this fallen world and the writer of this book He he searches for purpose for meaning for peace all the things that we want and he's sort of like hey walk with me As I search for these things in this world and let me teach you what I learned so we find out as one scholar said that 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 he basically says, I gave myself to pleasure to alcohol to big building projects, to planting vineyards, to creating beautiful parks, to accumulating stuff. I mean, he was doing all the stuff that you could ever want to do. And what does he find? He says it was all hevel. Hevel. It's a Hebrew word. It's tough to translate. But it basically, it literally means like a smoke or a vapor, which can, depending on the context, it can mean. Couple different things, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Dr. Tim Mackey. You may know Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. I'm actually gonna be quoting uh, him a lot today, more than usual. He just really helped me understand Ecclesiastes, and I want him to help you as well. So, what is what is hevel again? This this uh, this word that the writer of Ecclesiastes uses to describe uh, life in this world, hevel. Tim Mackey puts it like this: It's unpredictable. It's an enigma. It's absurd. Life is ungraspable. It's fleeting. It's short. It's temporary. It's, things are here today and gone tomorrow. But the teacher, for, through this letter, through this book, is, he's also going to use the concept of Hebel to describe how unpredictable life is. And if 2020 has been anything, it's been unpredictable. It's like it's ungraspable. We can all see this is There's things in life that we can see and sometimes life makes sense. But when you actually start the business of living and kind of trying to get our hands and heads around life and making it work, things don't go the way that we want them to. That's what the writer writer of this this book, Ecclesiastes, is saying. What a timely word for 2020. It's always timely, but I feel like it's a word that we need to hear, especially right now. Things don't go the way we want them to. And that's really important to hold on to as we dive in to this text. The world is beautiful, but it's fallen. So Ecclesiastes 5, verses 15 to 20, says this, and this is, this is, he's unpacking uh, the life of a rich person in this world and kind of what the end of it, of it all is. It says this, Ecclesiastes 5, 15 to 20. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. So this is is the rich person dying and saying like, not going to be able to take anything to the next life other than obviously their character. Uh, Not going to be able to take any of the possessions, any of the stuff that they accumulated. Verse 16, this too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes into this world, so he will go. What does one gain who struggles for the wind? All this work, all this effort, all this toil to accumulate stuff and money and possessions. He can't take it with him. Anywhere he goes, it's frustrating. And verse 17 says this, What's more, he eats in darkness all his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. And again, think about 2020. The context Immediate context here is accumulating wealth and riches, but as you read the book, this this applies to any effort to accumulate anything in this life. To try to find achievement, uh, success, pleasure, all these things, they come with frustration, sickness, and anger. Here's a quote that I thought was helpful. It says that this rich person is unable to take any of his wealth with them. He he exits, exits life exactly as he entered life, naked. He leaves no witnesses to his efforts. Not only the loss of his wealth, but even the accumulation of it was disappointing. Even climbing the ladder of success and making money and getting promotions, all of it was disappointing. He found it wanting. In the end, and isn't this the story that we hear over and over again in our world? Someone can get everything that they want and still find it Lacking. Tom Brady is a great example. I can't get into all that, but he's talked about that. Madonna has talked about that. People who have done everything, had accomplished everything. Mountaintop moments, it always, there's always a letdown. And it's disappointing. It says, he spends his days in darkness, okay, in gloom, with great frustration, troubled with cares and worry, affliction, okay, sickness and anger, enraged by circumstances. And I think that's important. Again, we're thinking about 2020. What does this sound like? Affliction, sickness, anger, enraged by circumstances. This sounds like someone who feels like they have no control over their lives. Does this remind you of anything? It sounds like many of us at some point during 2020. Here's the good news. Here's the alternative, verse 18. Here's what I have seen to be good. It's appropriate to eat, to drink, experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Okay, so now God's in the picture, and that changes everything. So when you hear eat and drink, it's important to think about companionship, joy, satisfaction, and that includes spiritual joy. So when God's in the picture, When his gifts are in the picture, there can actually be a satisfaction and fulfillment that you wouldn't have when you're pursuing these things, life under the sun without him in it. Verse 19, Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them. Take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. Verse 20, For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. Okay, so the dark stuff does not have to overshadow the beauty and the light God has brought into your life and mine. And you don't have to be consumed with stockpiling money and stuff. God is actually able to help you enjoy the things that you do have during the short time that we get in this world. What does this all mean? I'm going to read kind of an extended quote, and I normally don't read quotes this long, but I just want to encourage you, like wherever you are, just to, just to sit and, and listen and just receive what is going to come here through these words. I think there's balm, there's healing balm for us, for our hearts in the midst of a really difficult year with a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of, this year feels like hell. Here's what Tim Mackey says. Here's what he says when he's reflecting on these verses that we just read. He says, if I'm a person that's clamoring for a certain outcome in my life, what the teacher is saying, what's in store for me, and we'll use work as an example, is frustration, anxiety, affliction, and anger, and sitting in dark rooms, right? And this can apply not just for work. This can apply for parenting. This can apply in relationships. This can apply in basically any area of life. If I'm clamoring for a certain outcome in my life, what I can expect is frustration, anger, and sitting in a dark room. But if my beginning point is not working so that I can achieve my plans and certain outcomes, if my beginning point is that I release control of the outcomes of my life, then I'm free to actually begin enjoying simple moments like having a good meal and having a drink, companionship. Enjoy. having a drink with some friends, actually seeing the kind of funny, ironic things that happen in life, whether that's in your workplace or in your home or wherever. There's actually beauty, there's actually goodness in these people that I'm around. It's the same exact circumstances from two different points of view. And what he's saying is being frustrated with your work and finding that it's hevel is the key to joy. Finding out that work is frustrating, that it's perplexing, that it doesn't work the way we want it to, that our expectations are not met by it. That's the key to finding joy. And I would say that that's true for your family, for your parenting, for your relationships, for your friendships, for anything in life. So what he's saying is that my ability to enjoy the goodness of simple everyday events like work or eating in the lunchroom, for example, he says it's directly tied to my ability to see that. I have no control over my life. It's all tied to understanding I have no control over my life. Have 2020 taught us nothing? It taught us that we don't have control over our lives. Some of you might be like, what? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. That could be a sign. I still could actually be working under the illusion that I have control over my life. But there's some of us who have been in a whole bunch of life circumstances where time, where age begin to wisen you to the fact that you may have the noblest intentions, plans, goals, but life is almost never going to turn out exactly the way you planned it. Here's the thing. 2020, this pandemic, everything that's happened, it's actually taught all of us that. We've all been made wiser. We all now know that life doesn't go the way that we plan. So there's some of us who had plans for our jobs, for our work, and we weren't able to fulfill them this year because we had to stay home to take care of young kids who are now distance learning or who need homeschooling. Uh, There are some of us, youth, youth, you guys, you were planning on going potentially to being in school, in person, and that didn't happen. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff that we had hoped for for 2021 margin that just got obliterated by all the closures and changes all of us have been taught this lesson this year i have no control over my life say it with me i have no control over my life it doesn't mean that life is horrible it just means it's almost never going to work out exactly the way you planned it and for some people That's really, really hard. For other people though, there's freedom and joy in that. So Tim Mackey goes on. We have these ideas about how life might go or ought to go. And we certainly have ideas about how I want my life to go and the path and the course that my life is gonna take. And then these things happen in life that you simply cannot control, whether it's something serious like a tragedy or a pandemic or something silly. And there's a whole spectrum of things that could happen in between. And I would argue a lot of the stuff that we experience is probably somewhere in between. There's a serious um, pandemic and all the implications of that. The people that got sick, the frontline workers, et cetera, et cetera. And then also just the fallout of it for so many of us. We've all felt it. Plans changing. I had this plan. I had this career. I'm in this relationship. Here we go. And then we have these epic fail moments in our lives. And here's the key. We view them as obstacles. 2020, you could say, was an epic fail for almost everybody in some way. And we view them as obstacles. And maybe 2020 feels like it was just a huge obstacle that I just want to get in the rearview mirror. I want to get past. And I want to move forward to 2021. But here's the thing. The teacher from Ecclesiastes might actually say, hey, this This moment, 2020, what's happened this year might actually be the best thing that ever happened to you because it could do two things. Okay, so here's, this is massively important. Number one, it could strip you and me of the illusion that we're actually in control of our lives and that we can make things happen the way that we want them to. The sooner we're stripped of that illusion, in the teacher's opinion, the better, because the more we're trying to hold on to and control the outcomes in our lives. So thinking hands, like if we try to clamor, like hold on to the outcomes and events in our lives, the more we're going to be so focused myopically on control, that we're going to be blind to the beautiful moments of joy that present themselves to us. We need to be stripped of that illusion. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more here momentarily. We also need to be stripped of the illusion that I could control my life to go the way I want it, to get the outcomes that I actually want to achieve. And then I'd finally like take a break and rest and have satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in life. And the teacher's just deconstructing all that because he sees these little moments of joy. Again, eating and drinking, companionship, fellowship, spiritual joy with God. He sees these little moments of joy in life a drink, a meal, a walk with a friend, he sees them as pointers to some greater future joy to a degree that we have never fully experienced and won't fully experience here under the sun. And of course, there is a future of eating and drinking in the kingdom of God that this is pointing to. At most, we get these little tastes of like, man, having a a wonderful conversation with a friend, eating a good meal, looking up at the sun or the stars and wondering about the power and the majesty of God and the fact that he created all this and he created me and he loves me. These little joyful moments are, they're little previews. They're a little trailer. They're a little foretaste of what's to come, of life in God's kingdom, which will be a life of full rejoicing. There will be no more hevel. There will be no more frustration. There will be no more frustrated plans. It's going to be perfect, but it isn't in this life. There was a fall. This is life. He's describing life in the fallen world. So I think this is really important because I think we've struggled with this during the pandemic. I'm just going to share it quickly out of my own life. I think just being completely transparent, like I've had more moments of anger and frustration in 2020 that I think I've had in my whole life as a disciple to Jesus. Uh, There have been moments at home, or even sometimes outside the home, just going on a walk, when I had turned to Heather and kind of under my breath and just been like, this is misery. I've used the word misery multiple times. And, And what I was describing was the misery of like constant conflict, constant arguing, things not going the way I want them to, things not going to plan. And I was like, gosh, are we going to take this show on the road and spread this misery to our whole neighborhood? And it just made me more miserable because things aren't working out because I was clamoring for outcomes, for control. And then I read this. I started reading about Ecclesiastes. I started thinking about 2020. And it was almost like God was saying, like, take a fresh look at this, son. Take a fresh look at who you are and how you are responding in the situation and how there is, there is a, there's tension, there's cognitive dissonance in between these two things. And this has been wonderfully freeing. And I've started to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to relinquish control so that I can receive your good gifts. Help me to relinquish control so that I can receive your good gifts. Just today, the day I'm recording this message, uh, the day I, I like write, finish writing and like record my message is, it can be really stressful. Why? Uh, obviously, I want to do this well. It's important uh, to, to take this seriously, to be able to uh, proclaim the word in a way that's faithful, in a way that's accurate, in a way that helps uh, the church community in a way that pleases Jesus. Like this, this stuff matters. So I take it seriously. But I think I also take it Probably, I probably take myself too seriously at times. And so what I can do is um, I can, again, control my day, control my prep so that any unexpected interruption is like, nope, I don't have time for that. Nope, I close my door, I lock it. And and there's a certain degree of like, yeah, I I need focus, I need time and space, but I can also be, it can also be dehumanizing to my kids. It also make them feel like they don't matter. And so today, Josh, my son, had a, just had a hard time. He was struggling. And so I, I, was, I heard it. I kind of heard what was going on. So I was like, Lord, help me to relinquish control and help me to receive the gift that you have for me in this situation. And I think this is something I wish I had learned earlier in 2020. I think I've had moments of this, but I want this to become a, a movement in my life, not just a moment. And so I went, I went to his room and immediately uh, when he saw me, he ran off. He doesn't normally do that. This is not like him. Uh, Normally he'll sit down and talk, but he didn't want to talk this time. And so there I was, I was like, oh no, like he's, uh, I might just need to give him some time. I might need to give him some time just to calm down, to to kind of breathe, to get some space between what happened downstairs and like this conversation. I wasn't a part of what happened, so I just want to help however I can. So I stepped away. I went back into my office and just kind of prayed. And it was one of those moments where, man, if, if, if I'm not relinquishing control, I'm going to push. I'm going to push. I'm going to lecture. I'm going to tr- just try to get a result, which is like quick peace so that I can move on to the stuff that I want to get to. But in this moment, I realized like, no, there's a gift here for me. And if I have open hands to relinquish control and receive what God has, something good could come of this. So I waited a few minutes. I prayed. I felt kind of like, OK, it's time to go back in. And so I did. I went back into his room and I was like, Josh, hey, buddy, what's going on? I, I, I don't know what happened. I just heard a commotion. And I just want to come and listen and see if, see if we can talk this out. And he turned his back to me. So he didn't run away, but he turned his back to me. And I just kind of started telling him, like, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm here. I love you. I'm here for you if you want to talk, I'm, I'm ready to talk. And then I kind of saw him like slowly turn around and then I got the chance to ask him, hey bud, hey, what happened? And he kind of told me what happened and I asked him like, how did you feel? And even though, just what I, based on what I heard, it felt like maybe he had been the one who kind of instigated, um, he actually felt like, he felt hurt. And I think his moment of anger was actually, it was hurt being communicated without words. And I got to, to kind of walk him through that. I was like, oh, like I'm sorry. It sounds like you were hurt. And it sounds like you felt hurt and, and, um, and kind of reacted out of, that, out of that place. And so we got a chance to talk it through. And I remembered in that moment, I'm praying, I'm asking God for help. And I remember in the moment this, this article that I read about from Ken Sandys, uh, a Christian writer and speaker. He does a lot of great work with conflict. And he kind of talked about a time he helped his daughter through some stuff and he just kind of told her the the story of the gospel as though it was like Jesus speaking to her. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to think I'm going to try that. And so I told Josh like, "Hey, what do you think Jesus would say if he was here right now?" And we got to kind of talking, and I got to remind him that Jesus is gracious and that Jesus made him and that Jesus made him a big brother in this family. And he got put here for a specific purpose and for a season to be big brother to his sisters, and Jesus knew he was gonna struggle, and Jesus knew that he was gonna need forgiveness, and Jesus also knew that he was gonna need help, and he had made all this available to him, to Josh. And by the end of the conversation, he was like, I'm sorry, Dad, and he just like threw his arms around me, and we got to kind of pray, and he got to apologize for what happened. He went downstairs and apologized, and it was just one of those moments where I was like, I could have interpreted this as misery, I could have seen this as, like, an, an obstacle to get here, to get to this thing, the really important thing. When I, and, and thankfully, like, this, this message, prepping for this, has helped remind me, like, I can relinquish control and receive his gifts. And that's exactly what happened. The gift I received was the embrace of my son, whom I've too often in 2020 just kind of been, like, snappy with and short with and tried to fix with a rule and frustrated with, and instead I got to, I got the gift of God working through a simple conversation, uh, a uh, non-confrontational conversation, and we got to work through it, and it was beautiful, and it was redemptive, and that was the gift that God wanted to give me, and I got to experience my boy, like, he's tender, he gets hurt, and he also wants to make things right, and sometimes he's just too overwhelmed and emotional to do it, he needs some help, but I didn't need to lecture him or snap at him. And it was the kind of thing where I felt freed up to do that. In part because I also realized a part of this relinquishing control is, God, I can't change anyone. I'm not the Holy Spirit. At most, I'm hopefully using my gifts for the benefit of the church, faithfully, empowered by the Spirit, but I'm not the Spirit. This message I can't change anyone through my preaching, through the brilliance of my sermon prep or whatever. That's you. And so I give you back the control. And I receive your gift. And that will have to do. So I got to pause the prep and minister to my boy, love my boy, and come back to this. And I really feel like I'd rather enjoy that gift from God than hold on to control. Lord, help me relinquish control so that I can receive your gifts. So I want to ask the question, is there an area of your life where God might be calling you to relinquish control as we close out 2020 so that you can receive his gifts? Maybe in your workplace. Uh, Maybe it's feeling the burden of, of getting results for your company or having your kids turn out a certain way or your marriage or whatever, your friendships. 2020, I believe it's it's like God's shown us, hey, I, I treat you far better than you deserve. I use the frustration and the anger that all of you felt at times in 2020 to lead you to the end of yourselves to come back to me. In some ways, 2020 is the best gift I could give you if you're able to receive it. Lord, help me to relinquish control so that I can receive your gifts. Now, I started this message with the story of of losing hope during the the Angels' start to the 2002 season. And that night, on Wednesday, April 24, 2002, my boys came alive. Tim Salmon, my childhood hero, had a great night. The team ended up winning, and they ended up going on this incredible hot streak. And before you knew it, like they were in contention. By the end of the year, they made the playoffs, which... I'd been watching for a decade, and they had never made the playoffs. And finally, for the first time, they went to the playoffs, and it was incredible. It was amazing. And because my dad had season tickets, I got to go. I got to go to four different playoff games. It was amazing. Now, there were these different moments during the kind of season where I was like, this is a wild ride. There were other moments where it felt like hope was lost. I mean, they were down in an elimination game during the World Series, the biggest deficit of all time and they came back and won and they came back and won game 7 and and they won and I got to celebrate. I was there when they won the World Series. Game 7. I was in the stands. I got to see my team celebrate. I got to see my boy Tim Salmon hoist the championship trophy when all hope looked lost. It wasn't. It just took time to see that. And why do I tell you that? Besides the fact that I'm, I'm obviously a big angels fan and baseball fan. It's because for us, 2020, even in the lowest moments when everything seems lost, it's not. We, as followers of Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave up his life for us. This is one of those moments that I think God can use in our history as a church, as disciples, to really take us into great things. And he, I think he can use even a moment like this to be like, no, I, I, even though 2020 was tough, I can relinquish control to receive his gifts. And there is still hope, much hope, that we're going to win as his disciples. We're going to win. We're going to rise to life because of Jesus. And we're going to taste the fullness of all the little gifts that we get in this world and we got a taste of it in 2020 and i want to just share quickly some things that i'm personally as we this is the last message of 2020 so looking back on the year some of the things that i'm most grateful for i'm so grateful for gospel communities that were able to gather and celebrate the lord's supper i talked in the beginning of the message about how like divided the us the world is the church the broader church uh in, in America, and even we experienced some of that in our own community. I love that this year, despite how divided and, and hostile our nation felt, uh, those of us in gospel communities gathered around the table, we broke bread, and we remembered it's Jesus who brings us together, not political parties, not politicians. It was a taste of the unity that we have in Jesus. It was a good gift, that we were able to receive in this dark year. There was more. That was beautiful. There was more. As a gospel community, my gospel community, as, as the pandemic unfolded, uh, we made a decision that we were going to start to pray uh, regularly. So there was a few of us that would gather on Friday nights during this, the early stage of the pandemic just to pray, to pray for our nation, to pray for the pandemic, to pray for one another as we were struggling through things, and really to learn how to hear God's voice, to if you like, going back to kind of the Ecclesiastes, to eat and to drink, to be in companionship and fellowship with God, to experience spiritual joy in His presence. We got to do that. And I've talked to different people in our gospel community and they've said that that was one of the most transformative and impactful times of the entire pandemic and that it was a lifeline during that time. We got to experience God. We got to learn to hear His voice, to heal in His presence. My gospel community specifically also, we spent time sharing stories. So we got to know each other better. We got to tell the story of Jesus's healing grace in our lives, what he has done to save us, to make us new people, to make us people who are part of his family, who have gifts to bring, who also have pains and struggles that we need each other's help with. It was incredible. That was during the pandemic, during the worst part of it. And so hope is not lost even when it looks like it, but it may take time to see that. And I think that hope grows as we relinquish control so that we can receive his gifts and follow him and trust him. The book of Ecclesiastes ends on this note. Even though life is heavily, it's unpredictable, sometimes it doesn't work the way you expect it to, the best thing that we can do is to fear God and walk in his commandments. And now we know because of Jesus that to fear God and walk in his commandments is to be Jesus's people, to abide with him, to abide in his life, to trust him, to know him, to love him, to journey with him, together with others who are doing the same thing. And that's the way that we walk through difficult times together and experience his grace, his mercy, his gifts, as we relinquish control and trust him. And we find that he's good, he's gracious, and he treats us better than we deserve. So church family, I love you. That's the end that's the last message of 2020. I'm going to quickly pray and then we're going to transition into a time of worship where you can raise your hands and worship the one who has been with us throughout 2020, who has given us unexpected gifts amidst this really difficult year and who is never going to leave us nor forsake us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity this moment to open up your word, to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes, to really experience how good you are, how gracious and generous you are, and how you give us such good gifts. And if, if this is who you are, why would we hold on to control? Why would we try to hold on to control, to try to control people and situations to get the outcomes we want, which is a recipe for misery? Why not learn from this book and receive with open hands the gifts you want to give us? Jesus we love you we thank you and we want to worship you now. Shame you pray. Amen. So worship him church after at the end of 2020 may our voices proclaim loudly his grace, his mercy, his love. Love you church. We'll see you in the new year.